Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's jump into the sermon for today, though. Today we finish up this story of Elijah, and this is where we're going to park it on this here sermon series for the moment. Uh, We've been talking about proximity for the past two weeks, and in, in proximity we're talking about what it means to walk with God. And we talked about how we can have differing walks with God. We can walk hand in hand with God, right? We can walk very, very close to him. You know, we actually told in the Bible where the Holy Spirit abides in us, lives in us. That's the kind of walk God wants, right? Where he is inside of us, so near to us, where our steps are his steps, his steps are our steps. That's the kind of walk he wants. But we can also have degrees of that walk because there are degrees to which we can push God away. So much so that we eventually get to the point where we find God all the way on the other side of the country and and we're sitting there screaming and we're wondering why he's not talking back. But we've talked about when we look and God's not where we left him, who moved, right? It's never God. God was never the one who said, eh, Jeremy, I'm gonna peace out for a little bit. You look like you got it under control. That never happens with God. It's always that I have moved. And we've talked about the reasons why we do that. A lot of times it's the fact that we start leaning on our own understanding. We start trying to do things our way. And now today we're going to anchor down on this. This is, our, this is the third proximity, but today we're actually going to connect the dots. Not that the other ones weren't about hearing God's voice. They were about hearing God's voice. But today we talk very, very specifically about it. Because when we look at this story of Elijah, and when we get to the end of this passage in 1 Kings 19, Elijah's hearing voices, more specifically the voice of God, right? But he's hearing the voice of God in multiple different ways if we're paying attention. So we see three very specific ways that Elijah, now I think a lot of us when we read this 1 Kings 19, we focus on the still small voice of God, right? That's, that's the translation that most people know, the still small voice of the Lord. So we focus on that. But there's actually other ways that God's speaking in here or not speaking that we can learn just as much from if we dig in. So these are the three things we're going to look at today. First, we see that when God is out of sight, when we can't see him in our walk any longer because we're nowhere near him, then he's oftentimes, almost all the time, out of our mind as well. When we aren't thinking the things of God, thinking the thoughts of God, that's when we find ourselves getting into a lot of trouble, right? Second, we can pull within shouting distance. This is a little bit closer, right? God can't hear me, so I start shouting at him. Anybody been there? Right? You feel like God can't hear you, so you start shouting. And guess what? Sometimes God shouts back. And guess who always wins that shouting match? It's not you. I don't remember who it was. I heard somebody say once, uh, you know, when, when you're in a fight with God, if you win, you've lost, right? 
Lots of times we think that, right? Oh, I won that one. If you win a fight with God, you've actually lost. So there's the shouting distance. And then finally we see the still, small voice. When we find ourselves walking in the Spirit with the one true God, He can speak to us in a whisper, in a still, small voice. And we can communicate to Him the same way. And actually it goes a little deeper than that, but we'll save it. Save it for the end. So first... Everybody has heard this old expression, out of sight, out of mind, right? Human beings, we are horrible at this, aren't we? When it comes to our relationship with other human beings, right? When it comes to our relationship with things, when it comes to our relationship with God, unfortunately, we are pitiful at when someone or something is not in our immediate sphere of sight, we forget about that person entirely, don't we? You see this a lot. I see this a lot as a minister when it comes to suffering, right? If somebody loses a loved one or if someone goes through a catastrophic event, right? Right, right away, right after the event happens, we are great at supporting and uplifting and encouraging and being there for that person. But as time goes on, look, life doesn't stop because you've been hit by a tragedy, right? Life doesn't stop because your friend has been hit by a tragedy, but unfortunately, as life continues, that person, because of their loss, isn't in the same circles as you anymore, are they? Now look, some of you are great. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, this is, I'm not pulling everybody down. Some of you are great at when somebody is walking through something. You are consistent, you are steady, and you are strong in that person's life. Gospel House lets everyone be that way, right? Pastor included, I need to do a better job of this. Because when people aren't in my direct line of sight, I lose them. I lose them in the tasks that I have to get done and the things that I need to do and the people who are here. But don't lose sight of the people who aren't here, right? Don't lose sight of the people who have suffered and y'all are still suffering, right? Because all of us who have walked through suffering, we know it doesn't go away, right? The ache may dull over time, but it never completely goes away. And so make sure that we stay plugged in. We do this with God, we lose sight of him in our walk, in our daily life, and we let our minds wander. Has anyone ever been there? You let your mind wander to things that clearly aren't in the mind of Christ. And when your mind wanders to things that aren't in the mind of Christ, it tends to lead us down roads that cause us to stumble into some pretty nasty sins. Doesn't it? Look internally at the sin in your life right now. I promise you, all of it, no matter how big or small it is, you think it is, it all started because you lost sight, because you stepped out of the mind of Christ, right? And you've let your mind wander. Pastor Jared, he, I, I heard him say this once. I don't know if he got it from somebody else. I'm going to attribute it to him, though. Pastor Jared Motzinger, he, he talked about, your thoughts are like birds, right? It's all right if a bird swoops at your head, but you don't want to let it set up a nest, right? And that's what these thoughts can do. It's all right if the thoughts come, but we've got to get rid of them, right? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And that's what you do when those thoughts come. You cap get them captive and get them out. But too many times, I have let those thoughts nest in my mind and they lead me down roads. And look, we can, we can paint them as big uglies, right? Because that's what we like, Christians like to do this. We like to look at the big ugly sins, right? 
but what is sin to God? Right? There's God's way and there's man's way. And anything that isn't God's way, anything that isn't Christ's thoughts, that's sin. We've got to paint a broader stroke of sin, not because we want to, but because that's what the Bible says, right? And anything that is not God's way can get us into trouble. Look at what happens to Elijah. It says, Then he came there to a cave and spent the night there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies, for the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. Now look, if you listened to the sermon last week, if you were here last week, Elijah had just had a pretty incredible experience. Now, first of all, in 1 Kings 18, he just witnessed God throw down fire from heaven and completely embarrass the prophets of Baal, right? I mean, that's a huge victory, number one. Number two, he just witnessed God end this five-year drought in Israel by sending this torrential downpour. Then, things don't happen the way Elijah wants, and so he runs into the wilderness. But then, he falls asleep under a tree And an angel of the Lord shows up, bakes him a cake, gives him a bottle of water, and tells him to take a nap. Y'all, if God showed up and told me those things, you know how thrilled I would be? What? It's like the best mission ever, right? I would love that. Elijah has all of this happen, yet he's still complaining. Right? God just baked him a heaven cake, gave him some heavenly holy water to drink. And he's still complaining. He's still throwing his temper tantrum. God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And y'all, I'm going to just throw this out there. In Scripture, anytime you see God ask a question, God's not on a fact-finding mission, right? God didn't stumble into the wilderness and like, oh, Elijah, you're here. Hey, (laughs) what, what are you doing here? This is my mountain. You're not supposed to come up here, right? That's not what God's doing. God's saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what is going on? What's wrong? And Elijah tells God, doesn't he? Sometimes God asks us those questions because he wants us to hear our answer, right? Sometimes you say it out loud in the moment and you think, ooh, yeah, I didn't think of how that sounded, God. Other times you leave your foot in your mouth, but years later you look back and say, Remember when I questioned God on that one thing? I am sure glad that he did that to me, right? But when God asks us questions, it's never to find out our answers. It's always so that we can see the motives of our hearts. And Elijah's answer shows us that. Elijah has worked himself into this position where he's no longer thinking about God. He's walked into this position where his proximity is so far that he cannot see God anymore. And what is the only thing that Elijah can see? It tends to be a chronic problem with us human beings. Himself, right? You see it in his answer. Because what's he tell God? I have been zealous for the Lord. Everybody else in Israel is the problem right now, God. Everyone else in Israel has done everything wrong and I am here. And yet, even though I'm the only one who's ever done anything right, 
I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. And you're okay with it. You're letting them come after me. You're only prophet left in Israel. We humans do this quite frequently, don't we? Our problem is it's out of sight, out of mind, right? We don't see other people. And so the problem that this causes is that we assume that our case is worse than anyone else's. Don't we? Oh, come on now. We're getting too close to that, Pastor, right? This is where you got to start fending off the, oh, don't want to talk about that, right? But we do. I work harder than anybody else. Nobody works as hard as me. You, you see this church? Huh? I did this. I did all of this work and nobody's helped me and I'm the only one who ever shows up day in and day out and works. Nobody even knows what it's like to work hard, right? I suffer more than anyone else. Everybody else has it better than me. I know suffering like nobody else. I know what Job was going through. I know how to suffer. I have less than everyone else. Nobody, nobody else knows what it's like. Everybody else has more than me. Everybody has better things than me. I am more zealous for the Lord. I am the only one left in Israel. Does anybody else even read their Bible? And the reason I know these so well is because I think I've said every single one of those at some point or another in life. Don't pretend that you haven't, Right? This is the human condition, y'all. We get ourselves in this spiral, and it just sucks us down. It's like flushing a turd, right? That's a graphic depiction for you. But it is. You flush that toilet, and the water starts going down, and you can't stay up. It sucks you right on down. We do, and I, I could go on. I could give you example after example after example of ways that I have thrown myself a pity party. Because I've gone through all of this very recently, probably last week, this week probably, right? We find the goofiest things to take pride in, don't we? But it all stems from the same thing. We cannot see past the end of our own nose. We are selfish, selfish creatures. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a great quote. He says, My dear friends, If we only spent more time looking at God, we'd soon forget ourselves entirely. Mm. But when God is out of our sight, there is very little else left to drift to than ourselves and our pity. And if we're not careful, we can continue wandering down that trail until we are completely lost in it. Has anyone ever been there, or close to it, or currently there? (laughs) You can very quickly get lost in your sorrow, can't you? You can very quickly get lost in feeling sorry for yourself. And y'all, I know I've taken shots at this, and I'm going to keep taking shots at it. I hope it doesn't offend too many people, and if it does, maybe Holy Spirit, check yourself. But guys, our cultural trend right now, and it's super, super cultural within Christianity— this whole thing of allowing yourself to feel for as long as it takes. You know, just, just sit in your feelings. Just allow yourself. Y'all, that is horrid advice. Absolutely horrid, horrid, horrid advice. 
and I cannot warn you enough against it. Now, there, there are extremes of this, okay? This is not stoicism. Stoicism says that you deny all feelings, that you become stoic, feelings are bad, and you never feel, right? That's not what the Bible teaches. But it also does not teach to give yourself entirely to your feelings. And that's where our culture is heading, if we're not there already. Because what happens is when you do that, Christian, when you do this, and this is where, y'all, we got to be careful because we go see Christian counselors, and just because it says Christian before counselor, we assume that their advice is the gospel, and it's not. Because if anyone tells you, sit in your feelings, just feel your way, your feelings will never let you out. They won't let you out. And we know this. Anybody who has sat in sorrow, you know this. You can't grieve enough and then magically pop out of it. That doesn't happen because feelings pull you in and they pull you down and they keep you there. There is only one way out and it is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel says to stop thinking about yourself and to set your mind on things above, to set your mind on the things of Christ to listen to his voice. That's the only way out of this spiral, y'all. And if you've been stuck in that spiral, can I encourage you and challenge you? Stop letting yourself feel. It doesn't mean to deny your feelings. It doesn't mean to pretend that you're not angry or that you're not sad. or that you're, it does, That's not what it says. But it means to look beyond your feelings to a God who will never let you down. Run to him with your feelings and lay them at his feet and he'll help you get out because thankfully, God is very good even when we have fallen all the way to the bottom of that spiral. When it looks like there is no way out, when we have hit rock bottom, we have a God who is very good at getting our attention, don't we? We have a God who will absolutely shout us down even when we are far away, God's voice can cut through absolutely anything and find every single one of us. Uh, when I was a worship pastor, we, you know, as a worship pastor, you get a lot of um, people complaining about the way they want worship to go. And lots of times that has to do with the volume of the music, right? So a lot of times you get people who, who you know, will tell you it's too loud. Other people, it's too quiet. We need louder. Like, I want to feel that bass hit my chest. And then other people, like, you need to turn it down so that we can't even hear you guys up there. I just want to hear myself sing. But you, so you get both ends of the spectrum. But I, so I've gone through all, all the highs and lows. But one time I got a little handwritten note. Somebody wrote a note and stuck it in the offering basket to the worship pastor. Stuck it in the offering basket, and it said, It's hard to hear the still, small voice of the Lord when the music is blaring. (laughs) It was an anonymous note, so I did what I do with anonymous complaints, and I threw it in the trash. Because if you're not brave enough to put your name on it, I'm not going to pay any attention to it. So future advice for any of you who have complaints here at the Gospel House, don't write anonymous notes because I put them in the trash. But if you put your name on it and want to talk about it, more than happy to talk about it. But I get it, right? A snarky little Christianese way to tell me, turn down the music. But it actually reveals a very deep theological flaw in that individual. 
because I don't think that that individual actually read or understood this passage from 1 Kings 19. Because before we get to the still small voice of the Lord, we see God saying to Elijah, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by and a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Now look at those, y'all. A powerful wind, a tornado. Not quiet, right? Fairly loud, not peaceful, right? Fairly destructive. An earthquake. Has anybody been through an earthquake? Are those loud? I, I, I've never been through that, but I would assume if rocks are falling around you, it's not peaceful, right? Everything's shaking and, and being destroyed. How about fire raining from the sky and hitting this mountain? You think that was quiet or peaceful? None of these things are quiet events, are they? God knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? And when he does, for me anyway, it's very rare that it's quiet or peaceful, right? Now, I don't, I'm not going to say that God has, I don't, God has never sent a tornado to get my attention or an earthquake or fire. I could say he's definitely sent spiritual or, you know, mental or whatever earthquakes, right? You ever been there where you just feel like life is just falling apart? I think that's how he communicates most of the time. Actually, C.S. Lewis he writes about this, he, his book called The Problem of Pain. It's where he tries to tackle the issue, well, I, I would say does tackle the issue, uh, of, of why a good God allows pain and suffering. But in The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says this, We can ignore pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The church today does not like to teach this, y'all, because all the time Christians are taught and teaching that God only speaks through pleasure and encouragement and fun times. It's no wonder none of us can hear the voice of God. Because pleasure very rarely communicates to us what we actually need to hear. And we know this. There are natural examples of this, y'all. Right? Look at addicts whose teeth are falling out, whose bodies are wasting away. Right? Screaming. The pain is screaming at them. You must stop this. But their pleasure won't let them hear it, will it? And we can point to addicts, y'all, but we do the exact same thing with our sins, don't we? Right? Everything. Y'all, I, I, I get so fed up with this because science, you know, we, we, everybody wants to be so about, we've got to base this on science and science and science. Y'all, pornography. Science has shown, sociological studies have shown how damaging pornography is to society as a whole, to an entire culture. And yet our government, our, our, our culture refuses to do anything to stop it. 
We refuse to put any limits on it. It's absolutely ridiculous. But it's the same thing. We ignore it and we think that it's, oh, it's a victimless crime. And it is destroying our culture. It is destroying you and me from the inside if we let it. But we don't let the pleasure allow us to hear what we need to hear. And that's drop it. Whatever it is, you know, you can have an addiction to food. You can have, I mean, anything out there. And we know how bad it is for us. Yet we continue to do it. Because until the voice of pain gets loud enough, and y'all, this is where, we've talked about this, this is where Christian culture's got to shift. We've got to change what we call blessed. And thankfully, we're going into this sermon series on the Beatitudes, where Jesus is going to force us to change what we call blessed. Right? Because we call blessed cattle on a thousand hills, or a thousand cattle, I don't know what it is, right? But that's, that's what we call blessed. It's the blessed life. Cars and planes and mansions. That's not what God calls blessed. That's not what Jesus calls blessed. God calls blessed anything that is going to get your attention and bring you back to him. And he, y'all, God will send tornado after hurricane, after earthquake, after fire in your life until he gets your attention. That is blessing. Because he's trying to get to you. He's trying to communicate with you. God knows how to get our attention doesn't he? You know, I heard this teaching before that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He'll never force himself on you, right? I think we say that because we're worried we don't want new people to like come up to altars and they're afraid the Holy Spirit's going to start doing weird stuff with them and make them like a puppet on a string, right? So so we teach the Holy Spirit's a gentleman, right? Y'all, it's baloney. (laughs) Have you read your Bible? Right? Has anybody read the book of Acts? Raise Raise your hand if you've read the book of Acts. Anyone? Oh my goodness. Y'all, y'all need to read the book of Acts. Come on. In the book of Acts, over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit falls on people who do not ask for it. All the time. All the time when you look through the Old and the New Testament. Now look, I'm not saying this is being disrespectful to God. That, you know, God's not a gentleman. But when God wants to get your attention, he's going to get it, y'all. And he is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care where you're from. When he wants to get your attention, he's going to get your attention. And you are blessed if he does. Because y'all, he can try to get your attention. I love my, my uh, brother-in-law, Ethan. He tells this story about when, when God was trying to get through to him with the Holy Spirit. And, and so he, he was to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, but he refused to open his mouth. He wouldn't open his mouth because he knew if he opened his mouth, he was going to speak in tongues. And so he just refused to open his mouth. Now look, you can fight God, right? We talked about this. You can fight God. And if you win, who wins? It's not you, right? So look, you can fight against God. But if God wants to get you, he's going to get you, right? That's, that's what we call sovereignty. That's what we call his divine will. If God wants you, he's going to get you. And he will do anything to get you because he loves you. We don't talk about this enough in this story of Elijah. 
But when, this, when God comes, when, when God comes on this mountain, Elijah's not outside with glory flags, is he? He's not outside shaking tambourines and singing, come Lord Jesus, come, right? He's not doing any of it. Where is Elijah when all this stuff happens? Hiding. Right? He's hiding in the mountain. When all of these things hit, Elijah is hiding in the cave. If you make the leap with me, Elijah has taken refuge behind the rock. You see it? You know who the rock is, right? Jesus Christ. It's interesting because this mountain that Elijah went to, Mount Horeb, it it actually has another name. It's the same mountain that Moses met God upon. The exact same mountain that God told Moses, Moses, I'm about to make my glory pass by. Hide behind this rock until I tell you to look and I'll allow you to see my glory from behind. Right? The exact same rock. What did both Moses and Elijah do? They took refuge behind the rock who is Jesus Christ, y'all. And y'all, if you are trying to hear God's voice outside of refuge behind the rock, outside of Jesus Christ, you will be consumed by these elements. The glory of God will eat you alive if you try to come at him without Jesus Christ. But when you take refuge in the rock of ages, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, then you are ushered into the presence of God himself, the almighty God, Yahweh. You are ushered into his presence where you can hear the still, small voice of the Lord. The Hebrew translated by some here, still, small voice, that's probably the most commonly known phrase. New American Standard Bible translates it as a gentle blowing It's the same thing, but it's interesting because if you actually look at the literal Hebrew words now, the literal Hebrew here says a gentle or soothing silence, stillness, or peace. It's what it literally says. Isn't that interesting? God can speak through silence more than we could ever speak with a thousand words. Now, God absolutely can shout us down. If you refuse to give him your attention, he will absolutely shout you down by any means necessary. He can speak louder than the loudest worship concert you have ever been to. But God's favorite way to speak is through this gentle silence, this soothing stillness. I heard this story, I've told some of you this before, but there's, there's this Catholic nun named Mother Teresa. Most of you have probably heard of her. But she did this interview with Dan Rather. He, he went out there and he interviewed her. Uh, and he asked her, pro- probably what everybody wants to know of like somebody who you view as super holy, right? What's your prayer time look like, right? What do you do when you pray? How can I get through to God like you get through to God? And so he says, when you pray, what do you say to God? And she said, I say nothing. I just sit there and listen. He said, hmm, okay. Well, so when you pray, what does God say to you since you're listening? And she said, he doesn't say anything. He just sits there and listens. And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. When I first heard that, I thought Mother Teresa was nuts. 
Dan Rather probably thought the same thing, right? I'm sure half of the people watching, more than half of the people watching probably thought the same thing. Like, what? But then I started practicing silence before the Lord. Started actually doing it. And doggone, Mother Teresa was right, (laughs) y'all. You can sit in silence. Our Western culture hates that, don't we? We are horrible at it. You go to any, any other cultures, Eastern cultures, and, and it's, it's fun. If you like sit with international students, they, they don't mind silence nearly as much as we do in the West. We hate silence because it's been completely programmed out of our life. And I told you guys, I, you know, I, I used to be a worship pastor, but that was one of the things with worship when we would produce a service, right? Sounds unholy, doesn't it? Produce a service. But, but we did. And, and the, the number one enemy when you produce a service is silence. If you hear silence in a worship service, it means somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing. Something went wrong. Because you don't have silence, right? And we do the same thing, don't we? Because silence has been programmed out of our lives. I'll never forget, I I was a long, long time ago, some of you know Tim Davis who attends here, um, but we were, he asked me if I would go, drive down to Kentucky with him to help fix his grandma's house. We were doing something, I don't even remember what it was anymore. But I remember we had, we had just, just become friends. We hadn't been friends very long at all. But I remember I told Jana, Jana and I were dating at the time, and I told her, I said, I'm going to know from this trip if Tim and I can be friends after this. Because if he drives all the way down to Kentucky talking the entire time, I can't be friends with him. I can't do it. I can't, and, and some of you all know this about me, I apologize, I'm awkward, but I, I don't like surface conversation. Hey, how's the weather? I, I don't like it. It's boring, I, I, I don't care, all right? I don't care what the weather's doing outside. If I want to know, I'd stick my head out. I'm not going to ask you, right? Now, I like deep conversations. You want to talk about spiritual things, I'll sit down for hours with you, and we can talk about deep conversations, but I hate surface talk. I hate small talk. I don't like it. And so I'm definitely not small talking all the way down to Kentucky, right? But y'all, aren't we all like this in a way? I think about this when it comes to suffering. I've preached on this before. But when you're suffering, when you're really going through it, you don't want somebody to sit there and talk your ear off the entire time. When you're mourning, you don't want somebody who's going to talk to you the entire time. You really want people who are just going to come and sit with you. Silence is so refreshing, isn't it? And yet we are so bad at sitting in it. But that's exactly what God offers to, uh, that, to us, right? Is this silence. You know, I am absolutely horrible at silence with God, right? Right? And I, I, will, I will admit to you all right now, I started it this week because I was going to preach this and I thought I can't preach this and do what I've been doing. <laughs> but it's my confession time. I, I need to take my phone and chuck it across the room when I pray in the mornings. And I did. I've actually deleted all of the games, Sports Center, all of my, any other app. I've deleted it all off of my phone. It's been very boring for me lately. Right? You don't realize how addicted you are until you actually get rid of it. But y'all, I don't practice silence before the Lord because my phone is a distraction. And so I deleted everything off my phone. I, on, my, on my screen, I've got the very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what I got. And when I get up, I've actually stopped reading my Bible right away and I just look at that. 
and I pray about it, and I sit in silence. I've started practicing it again because I've gotten away from it. We've got to learn to sit in silence with the Lord, y'all. Because God can shout us down, but he wants to speak to you through silence with him, through that peaceful communion. I mean, have you guys done this before? Has anybody sat in silence with God before? It is the most beautiful thing in the world. As I was writing this, I was, I was like weeping as I'm typing this because I had forgotten how beautiful it is. But that's what life does, right? It comes at us and it distracts us and it convinces us that all of these other things are so doggone important. But y'all, we're gonna get to heaven someday and Jesus is gonna say, Jeremy, I wish you just sat with me. I wish you stopped convincing yourself while you were on the earth that you had to do one more thing for me. And I wish you had just sat with me. Because that's what would have changed the world. Not one more job, not one more task, not one more thing, but just to sit with me. Right? Isn't that what Jesus tells Mary and Martha? Right? Just sit with me. Stay in my presence. That's the greater thing. Look what happens to Elijah here. Tells us after the earthquake of fire, the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, the sound of a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God asks again in this soothing silence, And Elijah answers, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. The sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. Now, I don't know this. It's not told explicitly in the Bible, so i got to jump carefully to this conclusion. But I personally have a really hard time believing that when God speaks to Elijah in this gentle silence, in this peaceful, soothing stillness that Elijah comes back to God. Well, God, I really... I don't think that happens. Because I think in the presence of God, in this stillness, in this peace, I think that all there is left is for Elijah to put his hands, his face in his hands and say, God, I have been so zealous for you. Everybody else has turned away. I've done everything you've asked of me, and now they're coming after me too. And God, I don't know what to do. And what's God's response? The Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. You shall also anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahola as prophet in your place. And it shall come about that the one who escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed kissed him. This is God's answer to Elijah. After all of Elijah's complaining, after all the pouting, all the temper tantrum. Now, notice, God's not soft is he? God doesn't say to Elijah, now, now, Elijah, come on, let's, let's hug it out. 
come, come, bring it in, come on, right? He doesn't say that. He did, that was what the cake was, right? The angel came and baked him a cake. He did, he did, they hugged it out. But after hugging it out, God doesn't say, sit in your feelings until you're ready to come out, Elijah. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, Elijah, you have no idea what I'm doing. You can't see it. I am doing something so far beyond anything you could ever perceive. Y'all, a little history lesson here. If you go through these names and actually study who these guys were historically, Hazael, king over Aram, not a good guy. You think Joe Biden's bad? <laughs> Buzzing. Gotcha. This guy was awful. Absolutely awful. De- absolutely destroyed and demolished and murdered the people of Israel. God's chosen people. A horrible person. Yet what does God say? As part of my perfect plan, I want you to anoint him as the king over your enemies. That doesn't get preached on. I want you to anoint the king of your enemies. Anybody hear Jesus in that? Right? Then, Jehu, the son of Nimshi, y'all, go through your kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles, read them. Not a great dude, right? Not a great king. This isn't somebody who ushered in the presence of God and brought Israel back to the Lord. He wasn't. Yet that's who Elijah was supposed to anoint. And then, we finally get to a good one, Elisha, right? Okay, now you're talking God. Now this is a guy who's, right? Anoint him to take your place, Elijah, because I know you're done. I know you think you're done, but I've got somebody to take your place. And Elijah, I know you think you're the only one left, but there are 7,000 prophets in Israel who have not bowed to Baal, who have not kissed this image, this false god. God is straight with Elijah. We see something very similar in the book of Job, don't we? Job comes to God with the same thing. The entire book of Job is Job saying, God, I don't deserve this. God, why are you doing this to me? God, God, God. And God shows up and says, Job, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea because you haven't asked me what's going on. Anybody need to hear that today? Right? We do the same thing, don't we? We fall into the same trap. I told you last week, this is one of the most, one of my favorite Bible passages because it brought me so much comfort because y'all, I do this exact same thing. God doesn't answer prayers the way I want him to. And so I throw a fit. God, what are you doing? God, wake up. When are you gonna start pulling your weight, God? I've been doing all this for you. And every single time, y'all, you can fill in the blank with your name. God says the same thing. You have no idea, Jeremy, what I'm doing. But it's not because I refuse to tell you. It's because you haven't sought me. 
You are so busy running around from this to this to this to this to this that you can't possibly see what I'm doing. But if you just stopped and sat in my presence, it would all come together. It's incredible, y'all, isn't it? And, and look, yeah, I, I told you guys last week, I'm right in the middle of one of these right now. I'm right in the middle of this, asking God, wringing my hands, God, what are you possibly doing? I do not understand. There is no possible way you can be working this together for my good or the good of anybody else that this involves, right? But every time, y'all, how many times does God have to show us that he's been faithful? How many times does God have to show me he has been faithful before I finally just throw up my hands and surrender and say, God, you're right. I don't know what you're doing, but you have never failed me, and I know you're not going to start now. God has a plan, y'all, and God's plans have never failed, and he's not going to start with you, and he's not going to start with me. God's plan is not a good plan, it's not a good plan, y'all. It is the best plan. Only God, as good as you think you could craft your life, as good as you think you could do things your way, well, if God just did things my way, everything would work out baloney. Anybody? I've done things my way, right? And it, it is a disaster. Every single time I try to do life my way, I end up praying, God, save me, <laughs> I made a mess of it again, right? And the best part is that God will absolutely share his plans with us if we just seek him, if we just sit in the peace of that stillness, the gentleness of that silence with him. Look, guys, I know life is busy. I, I know life is busy, right? I work harder than any of you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was from point one, remember? <laughs> life is busy, right? But guys, if God is important enough to us, if you pick up that little packet, one of the little gems my father-in-law says, that if, if we are going to seek heaven, if we're going to seek the kingdom of God, if we're really going to run after it, then heaven has to be the only thing that we are living for. Guys, if we are going to run after Jesus the way that he wants us to, if we are really going to make this life all about him, then Jesus has to be the only thing that we're running after. And we've got to learn to set these other things aside and put them in the right priority. This is incredibly difficult today. Our entire culture, since the invention of the microwave, right, is all. The shorter wait, the better, right? You get your fast food right away. You stream your movies instantly. On demand, on demand, on demand. Our God is not an on-demand God. He's not an on-demand God. And the only way to get where you want with him is to sit in his presence and you will find a God who is always there with open arms, ready to accept you, ready to take you in, to say, Jeremy, it's about time. Now sit with me and walk with me 
y'all, this, this, isn't, this isn't just a morning routine, right? It's now practicing silence. That can be a morning routine, but that's not it. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, which means that you can carry this peace, this gentleness, this stillness with you everywhere you go. In the midst of absolute chaos, you can have peace with you. Y'all, the church has become absolutely awful at this today. Culture has become absolutely awful. I always hate extreme cases, you know, where we say it's never been as bad as it is today. But y'all, I, I don't know. There is so little peace in this world today. And it starts with the church. Christians are absolutely losing their minds over all sorts of ridiculous things. Politics and end times events and, you know, all of this stuff. We absolutely lose our mind. Anxiety and confusion and chaos in the church. Where in the world is the world going to go for peace if we're running around like chickens with our heads cut off? We need to learn to carry God's peace with us everywhere we go because the world needs it so desperately. This takes practice. It's not something that you can just wake up tomorrow and be an expert at. You've got to practice this presence of God. But when you do, then you can disciple with the world as the Holy Spirit is currently discipling with you. You can minister to the lost the way that the Holy Spirit is currently ministering to you. And you can speak to those who need to hear God's voice the way that God is speaking to you. Y'all, it is literally right there. All of this is right there. I promise you it is not a pipe dream. God would not have told us that this is available in his word if it's not attainable. We've got to die to self, take his hand, and walk with him. Every moment of every day. It is the easiest thing you'll ever do. I mean, it's, it's the simplest anyway, right? It's probably the most difficult thing you'll ever do. But if you just walk with him and let God have his way, the peace of his stillness will walk with you every moment of every day. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.